Come with me and you'll be in a world of cinematic adventures. This is the first episode that I am recording since my hiatus. So it's going to be, it might be a little weird. Um, we'll see. But I mean, psh, like my other episodes weren't weird. Um, they were all very weird. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Today I have Doug from the End is Nigh podcast on. Yes, the End is Nigh show. The End is Nigh show. Yes. Right. Okay. That's and, our branding. Okay. And today yes. we are talking Blade Runner 2049. Now, you didn't see the original, did you? Yes, I did. The difference you did. is you've seen like 95 different versions of the original, and I saw like whichever one was on TV. Okay. How did yours end? Because this is very important. Uh, it ended with uh, Rutger Hauer <laughs> saving him. Right. But there's, there's, that's, there's a very, very end. Did it end with him with an elevator closing or did it end with him and Rachel driving away and there's a voiceover? I can't remember. All I remember is the Rutger Hauer pulling him back over and then like a unicorn for no fucking reason. Okay, do you remember a scene where he had a dream about a unicorn? That's very important. Yes. Okay, so you saw a, a either the final cut or the director's cut. So, okay. Right. You saw, that sounds about right, because I, I tend to go for director's cuts. Yes. Okay. Okay, so you saw the director's cut, which mm -hmm. is there's some debate about, uh, because in the director's cut, it, it very much implies that uh, the director, uh, Ridley Scott, wanted it, to imply that Deckard himself was a replicant, whereas in the theatrical release, the, the unicorn dream, I don't believe, is in it, and nor the extra weird CG shots in the final cut where his eyes match Rachel's. So you, you're left with the idea that the replicants are acting more human than human, which is also the motto of the Terrell Corporation, right? So, right. Right. It's so, also a white zombie song. Right, which is based on Blade Runner. <laughs> So we well we came full circle. Look at us. Huh? Look at us ice skating with words. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah. So that's that's all very important, especially in relation to twenty forty nine. What yes. did you think? What did you think of twenty forty nine? You know, I liked it way better than Blade Runner. Honestly, when I saw Blade Runner, the reason why I don't really remember is because it was such a forgettable movie to me. Hmm. The first one because it was the pacing was god-awful it took so yeah. long for any scene to happen it was like five minutes of like walking and then like two minutes of dialogue that meant nothing to me because i didn't understand the words because it was supposed to be futuristic and they were like saying like blah 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 something go over there right you like, had a detective who didn't actually do any detecting right he just kind of lucked into everything so it kind of it, it kind of felt like a super boring video game where, like, you're not controlling the character, but he's going from quest to quest to learn about the thing that he's got to do, you know? Right. And, like, along the way, there's philosophy, but I also saw it when I was young, so that went over my head. Um, but when I saw Blade Runner 2049, I was much older. And the pacing is much better because even I though it it's, it's so long. Yeah, I, it is very long, but I feel like the pacing is very similar. But um, I, I feel it's better because to me, every moment is like, well, for one, there's just the aesthetics, the fact that it's not as cluttered. Like the first Blade Runner to me was visually 
And even information-wise, it was just a clusterfuck. It was just like, it was so messy. But this one is almost sterile. It's well, like uh, let me give you let me give you a quick experience of seeing the the first one. So the first, my mom worked in a movie theater, right? So and this is kind of important to our experience one because I absolutely agree with you. Twenty forty nine is a better movie. It just straight up is. Okay. But um, uh, this was I want to say this was right before. Is it right before Return of the Jedi? Right after? It's right around Return of the Jedi. Blade Runner comes out. I think it's in eighty two. So maybe right before so Return of the Jedi. Before Return of the Jedi. So we see the trailer of Blade Runner. I remember it vividly because you know Han Solo is shooting that awesome gun, and so we're right away thinking, "Oh wow, this is going to be some sort of Han Solo movie," but you know, without the character. So of course, I went to watch it, and I think my choices there was like two movies in the theater. My choices were that, or like Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, or Woody Allen's <laughs> Mid. Uh, it's midsummer sex comedy, right? So it was like two black and white movies or Blade Runner, right? Right. And I remember being like incredibly like this is really slow. What's happening? The first time I'd seen it, but then by the time you got to the end, by the time you get to Rugger Howard's monologue, like I felt like I saw something special. But every time I try to talk to my friends about, it, they're like, yeah, whatever. But <laughs> I mean, I, I would just have been the yeah, whatever. <laughs> right. But when you watch like the making of that film. And like, and I, and I know you can't really base an opinion on the making of a film, but like the incredible visuals, knowing that CGI didn't even exist and that those are individual LED lights that you're seeing and, and that sort of thing. Like we can go on and on about that, but we're here to talk about 2049. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's a remarkable piece of filmmaking. And, but when, yeah, but I, I couldn't recommend the documentary more. Uh, was it uh, Demon Day? Not Demon Days. What is it? I don't remember what it's called, but it's a, there's days I think is in the title, but it's uh, it came with the I think they included it in the DV, uh, the Blu-ray of Blade Runner, the final cut when it came out. But it's um, like the final final, yeah, the final <laughs> final. Right, we meet it right. Blade Runner, we meet it this time cut. <laughs> right, that's part of the problem with the damn thing. There's so many cuts out there. Right, I think it's seven now. I think it's all like the theatrical, the directors. Uh, the European, uh, there's too many of them. Yeah, I don't, the television version, which I don't know why that was even a thing, but it's, I don't know. It's, I love the, I love the first one sentimentally, but I understand why it doesn't catch on with people. But could you imagine the pitch for the sequel though? Let's make a movie about, uh, you know, targeted to people over 40, (laughs) (laughs) you know, about a film that no one remembers. And, um, we're going to make it three hours long. So you can only show it in theaters, maybe two or three times a day. Like how did oh, that? No. Is- so I, okay. I think this is how the pitch meeting actually went. Okay. Nostalgia is a big thing, right? Sure. Right. Okay. So said two why don't we take a cult classic like Blade Runner and do not quite a soft reboot, but a like psych distant future sequel. Nostalgia alone will get butts and seats. I think that's how they pitched that movie. Right. It didn't, though. It didn't do great. It, no. No. <laughs> Just like <laughs> because, the original. Right? Well, I think Blade Runner is a cult classic because there are so many people. Like, that's why there's so many different cuts because people keep buying them. Oh, I got to tell you, I have the box set that comes in the replicant uh, test suitcase. Oh, my god. With gosh. the little blue car. Oh, yeah, no. Are you serious? Like, it's a miracle I even have sex, right? So I have, like... <laughs> The, oh yeah, no, super nerd. So I have like the, 
the origami unicorn that comes with it the concept oh wow folder oh yeah no it's it, I, I have a problem but the the yeah. original is really great but we can't but we gotta talk about 2049 uh it is just to give it the the introduction it deserves it's directed by denny bellinu ah is that how you say his name denny bellinu he did sicario and arrival i know who you're talking about i have no idea how to pronounce his name is denny bellinu isn't it it's um, it's a sexy if you're Villeneuve or something like that villainu so someone will correct us yeah somebody knows right but um, it's he's he's french canadian i think which yeah they still make those <laughs> i thought it was just french french no i these french canadians from canada oh okay but um but the, this movie was more polite right <laughs> right you see like every scene everything that happens spoilers <laughs> He shoots a replicant, and he's like, "Sorry." And then, <laughs> then he has a he has like some sort of like three way. Uh, we'll get to that part later, but he's like, "Sorry." But and the the cinematography is Roger Deakins, who did True Grit. Um, he did the Coen Brothers, yeah, Coen Brothers True Grit. But he also did the James Bond Skyfall, which was freaking gorgeous. But he finally, he, I think he did like a like hundred movies or something, but he got an Oscar for Blade Runner. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Was, um, I did facts. I looked up facts. Awesome. You looked up, you did homework. Yes. Look at you. Well, uh, I was like guest co-hosting. So, so <laughs> I got you. I got you. Thank you. Um, this movie, it was, it was excellently filmed and scored but the thing that got me the most about this movie was ryan reynolds acting yes it was 100 on point there are different scenes that i could point to like for example just the fact that he's walking oh, wait, around is there a spoiler rule is there a spoiler rule in this or i mean if you're listening to a movie podcast and you know the we know the episode there's spoilers okay spoilers and on okay. top of that it's not like like i only do spoiler warnings if it's a movie that just came out okay if it's been out longer than three months fuck you you should have seen it <laughs> so <laughs> right. this is a movie podcast what do you think we're gonna discuss right so um yeah it's not and there is no such thing as a movie that has come out within the last three months pretty much because covid, COVID. yeah so yeah. this came out what two years ago three years ago. So mm. if you haven't seen it by now, it's cause you don't want to. Right. Um, so yeah, he, there's a scene where he, um, he's stand like he's, he's looking at the two women who are like, you know, the AI woman is, is like overwriting herself on top of the other woman. Oh, we're just going to get right to this scene. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Jump in. We're just jumping right into and, the sex scene. Yeah. And, okay. The look on his face, though. Look, let's set up the scene a little bit. Like, he, he has an AI girlfriend named yes. Joy. And, and he has just come home from work where he is starting to think that he is... He, he knows he's the replicant, but he's starting to think that maybe he was born. Right. And that revelation, like, he found out something at work that leads him more to believe this. And when he comes home to go tell his AI girlfriend, she's like, shush, 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 because there's a human coming. Right. So it's a surprise, like yes. a birthday present. It's a, it's a present for him right. um, because she gave him the gift of being like not tied to his apartment any longer. Right. 
Yeah, she he he she, she's on wireless. Yes. Yeah, that she, was she. She's she got the iPod Wi-Fi version. AI now. Right. <laughs> so um. So in that scene, the look on his face because you you already well, know the AI gets him. The AI orders him a prostitute. Yes, she orders him and a then, prostitute that he had actually turned down because he doesn't like real women. Right. And he can't have sex with the AI. Because I thought maybe he just didn't like her pink hat. Non-corporeal. Uh-huh. You know, it could have been. It could have right. never know. Maybe not, not enough fur on her jacket. You never know. That wasn't even a euphemism, but well done. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, <laughs> such a dork. I'm, I'm so, <laughs> um, so the, the the thing that gets me is like you have we know what he's thinking because throughout the movie when he comes home he tell he unleashes on her he tells her what happened through the day to kind you know kind of makes him feel better um, so you know that he's got something that he wants to get out but he's got to hold it in because now this real woman is here so he can't give he can't you know he has to hold on to that information and right. also it's weird for him. Because this AI that he's attracted to that he can't physically be with has overridden herself onto written. a written. That's what I said. Written. Make sure I right. Written. What do you think I said? Uh, no, it would sound like I didn't want you to sound like you were saying overridden. No, writ. Okay, I'm from California. We don't say T's. We say the. But anyway, right, same thing. Right. Anyway, okay. so this AI has overridden herself on. And I still said tin, okay? Right, tin, right. <laughs> anyway, um, on to this physical woman. And you can see the conflict in him of like, I don't want to have sex with this woman. But also, hey, I can have sex with you now. Right. <laughs> so you see that. Tell me how to say no to this. Right. And you see right. all of that on his face. You can somehow, you can see the conflict of, I still really want to get this out. But and like, ew, this is weird. I don't want to have sex with this physical woman. But her but body's then also saying, like, hell yes. Okay, I can physically have sex with my AI now. Right. This is creepy. I don't like it, but I'm definitely going to do it. <laughs> you know? Right. It's like you all see, of that is on his face. Right. He doesn't even have to convey perfect. it. No, to your point, yeah, no, his he conveys every bit of his emotions um, that he's capable of understanding on his face. And, and you read them and you understand them. Exactly. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that I was thinking about this when I rewatched it. I was like, you realize that both of these women are doing the exact same thing to him, which means he has to perfectly do the exact same thing twice in a row. I don't know that your math is correct on that. Does he have to do do it twice? Does he have to do it twice or is it once because they're combined? No, no, no. In recording. When Ryan, when when um, Ryan Gosling, oh, I see. We say, wow, when they're filming, he has yes. to do the same exact motion when twice. He's, oh, okay. When he's filming, because right. the because like when you watch it, both women are like coming in and out of of sequence, right? Right. Because sometimes you can see the AI over the woman, but sometimes you can see the woman coming through, which means right. both women had to touch him in the ways that they get to. T- they get to vary slightly because they aren't technically the same woman. But he has to not only stand perfectly still and let them do this, he has to have the exact same facial expression the whole time. Is it consistency or monotony? It's, but you know what? He, that's the thing though. His facial expression isn't exactly the same. Like he, 
he changes his facial expression from moment to moment, but it stay it's consistent no matter like when you see the two women, he still has that saying like his acting never breaks. You would right. never realize just like you know you were saying, you would never realize that he had to film this twice. No, not at all. No, you're absolutely right. And I, I feel like that that's a great scene. It's a really good commentary, I think, on like internet relationships or long distance relationships in the sense of how much of it is projection. I think is it well, I think that's a theme that runs all the way through his relationship with Joy. Yeah. And um yeah. But yeah, that's and that's there's two scenes where it's really where it kicks you in the gut. And I guess we'll get to the other one later. Uh, I know which one you're talking about. Yes. Fucking bitch. Anyway, yes. <laughs> I hate her because of that. Um, okay. <laughs> well, it, uh, there's another, there's a, a, a subtext that we have to point out in the film too, um, having nothing to do with uh, internet relationships or projection. Um, she hands him a book. Did, I don't know if you noticed the Navikov book, Pale Fire. Uh-huh. Um, the journey of the character in Pale Fire is... Uh, very similar to K, played by Ryan Gosling. And it's that book is actually the soul of the movie. Like, if you've ever read the book, it is the inner workings of Blade Runner. If you didn't get enough Blade Runner 2049, <laughs> I, you know, there's more. Would, would, there's more. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> and it was written in 1962. But it's also referenced in do you, the, he takes a baseline test. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the, the computer asks him, do they? It's, I guess it's sort of like a self-diagnostic test because re- replicants are robots. And they, uh, the robot, uh, I guess the, the test giver asks him, do, you, do they keep you in a cell? And he responds, cells. Cell, yeah. When you're not performing your duties, do they keep you in a little box? He responds, cells interlinked. And what's it like to hold the hand of someone you love? Ryan Gosling responds, interlinked. Do you dream about being interlinked? Ryan Gosling responds, interlinked. interlinked. Okay. That's directly from uh, the poem in Pale Fire, which is huh. uh, supposed to be from the. Uh, there's a character, John Shade, in Pale Fire, who writes this poem. Now, if we take out the computer questions, the poem goes: cells interlinked within cells interlinked within one stem and dreadfully distinct. A tall white fountain played, and um, the fountain has some really huge significance in the book, but it has a completely different significance in the film. If you remember the fountain in the film, and he also mentions it in the second baseline test that he takes. So when Denny Villeneuve put that book in the movie for like allusion to literary aesthetic, it's not like there to be like, look, we're smart. It actually is the soul of the film. So if you were interested in the film and you dove into the book, you, um, you it really, it, it just, it takes you places. That's awesome. That reminds me of uh, the play in The Godfather Part 3. Wow, that's deep essentially, cuts. It's essentially the story of The Godfather that they were watching. Oh, right, the, right. The opera. Sorry, not a play, but the opera. Right. It was like a, the opera was, it's a real opera. And it's, but it's essentially like if you were to to look at that opera and then look at the story of the god of basically Michael Corleone, like through the eyes of you know the three films, it's the same tale. Now I just want to do the Blade Runner poem as Michael Corleone. <laughs> if you can do it, go for it. Do they keep you in a cell? Cells 
<laughs> you're not performing your duties. Do they keep you in a little box? Cells interlinked over there. Sorry, I can't. I got to stop there. It's not, it, honestly, it sounded more like you. It sounded yeah, like you it doing did. this. I'm not good at that. Whatever it was I was trying to do. Let's move <laughs> on. Anyhow, okay. So do you want to get into, uh, into the themes? Yeah. Okay. Yes. There are so, so many. Um, I, of course, being the leftist that I am, immediately picked up on. Here we go. The ca- I mean, come on. <laughs> right. Look who you're talking to. I immediately picked up on the capitalism, slavery, just For those horrible, at home, Jackie, la- Jackie is left of socialist. I, <laughs> I'm a social democrat. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, look, at I don't even remember the name of his character because I just saw him as like Captain Evil. Um, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, uh, Jared Leto. Yes, Jared Leto's yeah. character. He yeah. was over the top though, wasn't he? His performance. I don't think so, because if you're you so? keeping it in the Blade Runner family, he's no more over the top than anybody from the first Blade Runner. Yeah, you got me there. Rutger Hauer was pretty over the top. Right? So- Speaking of, like, go ahead, continue. I'm sorry, but I'm going to put a pin in that because it's a funny thing. It's a funny fact. But go ahead. Okay. Yeah, so to me, like, I feel like he watched the original Blade Runner and was like, oh, I'm in this universe, and he just went with it. Um, plus the character itself, like even if somebody else was playing him, it's an over the top thing. Right. Just like capitalism. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but it, like Lord. what was striking to me was cause yeah, we can get to the whole, like, you know, what is human and blah, blah, blah. But the thing to me was that like, it kind of reminded me of Elysium where like the rich people are all off planet and like, it's just the poor people on earth still. Um, and it's poor people and it's replicants and he creates replicants. He specifically says we lost our taste for slaves unless we created them. Right. So replicants are just slaves to him. And then you get to when he goes to the, when Kay goes to the orphanage later, you see all these children and they're all orphans, but they're all sold into service. So again, it's another level. Even the impoverished have a hierarchy. It's still another level of No, you're absolutely right about that. Yes. So like like that's the stuff that stuck out to me. Aside from, I mean, yeah, there's also the obvious, you know, what's human? (laughs) That kind of thing. But that's you know it's weird that you say that because I feel like that the the what it is to be human, I feel, is more of the subtext of the first one where this was more about connection, but then well, I guess I so. Think yeah, that's because like we get to with the bridge. This scene. one, I think, this one deals with multiple themes, and it kind of weaves them so well that it depends. Like it basically, it's like a song. It's up to your interpretation. So, if you're going through something, you might notice this. If you're going through something else, you might notice that. But it's all there. It's and if you have no feel- fabric. feelings at all, you won't. Right. If you have no feelings at all, you're not even a replicant. So what right. what good are you? Replicants have all the feelings. <laughs> they do. They have them all. They have all. It's the humans in Blade Runner that don't. You know what? Okay, quick side. Have you seen Westworld? Westworld. Yes. The the TV show, the the HBO series, not the Season original nine. movie. Yes. 
Okay. To me, this is reminiscent, getting into the whole human thing. To me, it was very reminiscent of the host, um, like from season, at the end of season one and then season two and even into season three, where it's like, when you get into the whole, like, what is human and the limitations well, it's a theme, of humanity. I guess in sci-fi, isn't it, though? Like, I guess that's a, a common theme, I guess, in, in sci-fi. Yeah, like, what is... Yeah. That's the, that's what I love about sci-fi is that, yeah, it's just, like, zipping through the galaxy and weird shit, but then there's always that, like, super nerdy theme that, like, is intrinsically philosophical so you can be an idiot and just like the 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 pew pews and boom booms, or you can think about it and be like, "That was some deep shit." So that's why you I said, love sci-fi. You said pew pews and boom booms. I did. <laughs> nice. That's what I call um, guns and explosives. I actually got it from uh, Movies Explained for. Oh, okay. He's really funny. Um, he's a YouTube channel. Oh, all right. Yeah. But Rugger Hauer, uh, I got to get to Rugger Hauer because I got to get this fact before I forget it. Go for it. Okay, so you know the monologue he does at the end of the original. Right. Uh, the Tears and Rain, mm-hmm. right? Which is one of the most beautiful scenes in any movie, right? Mm-hmm. He, he made that up. He, like, you'll find out when you, uh, if you ever watch the documentary of the making of Blade Runner, which I, it's on YouTube. But um, he, most of the actors that were involved in the first Blade Runner had more to do with making the movie than the director did. You could, that's just nutshelling it. Like, like the language, uh, what's his name? The Miami vice guy, uh, Edward James almost speaks. He made up, he went to classes learning how to use, uh, like splice together Japanese and Chinese and Korean and English and Spanish and make that street language. He invented that. Um, Daryl Hannah's look, she invented on her screen test. So like, so many the choices that are iconic in Blade Runner have nothing to do uh, with Ridley Scott. <laughs> but Rugger Hauer made up the, the monologue at the end. And every day since he filmed it, he will go to con, to con, to con, to remind you that he made up the monologue <laughs> in Blade Runner. And if you gave him $85, he'll recite it for you on your phone. <laughs> True story. Funny. So the fun fact about that is I can keep the 85 bucks, just play the movie really loud and record it on my phone. With like background noises. Well, now I- To make I, it sound like you did it in front of you. Remember in the 90s um, when- Barely. We didn't have all of the technology that we do now. Right. Yeah, I became expert at recording songs and movies by playing them and then playing them back and listening to them. That's how I got my voice. Like, that was my voicemail outgoing message. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah, that's why I'm like, no, if I wanted that, I could just do it that way. <laughs> Save my 85 bucks. It may take me a whole day, but damn it, I'll have it. That's your new name, Jackie Cut Paste. <laughs> Somebody finally gave me a nickname. I'm the queen yep. of giving people nicknames, and now yep. I finally have a nickname. Jackie Cut Jackie Paste. Cut paste. <laughs> Spelled C-U-T slash P-A-S-T-E. <laughs> wow, that's a first. That's a first. Somebody actually gave me a nickname. Hmm. Can we talk about the bridge scene? The bridge scene? Yes. Yes. In 2049. Indeed. This is the scene that... Okay, when I saw 2049... The first time, because I saw it, you know, I saw it in a theater twice. When I saw it the first time, 
my friend Damien, who I talked to you about earlier before we started recording, gave me uh, a big ball of edible weed that was like uh, like a granola bar, right? But it was smashed into a ball. And he's like, don't eat a lot of it because when it creeps up on you, it creeps up on you. And I'm eating the shit like an apple, right? Because it wasn't kicking in. Uh-huh. It kicked in right about the bridge scene. And it was so intense that like when the like I was sat there until the credits went up and the lights went on and I wondered if that were real. Wow. I was like, wait, like it was. Yeah, I mean, it was intense. But um, so the bridge scene stuck with me. Um, this is an incredible uh, emotional scene because his relationship with the A.I. Joy, who, by the way, is like she's the heart of the movie. When you agree. I could see it. I, I love that you just like Beaker just that when you're like, maybe. <laughs> so she's the heart of the movie. So like, he has uh, a really special relationship with Joy and she's very nurturing. She's just, she's just wonderful. Joy is great. Uh, but something happens where Joy no longer exists. And when he goes on the bridge after learning he's not who he believed he was going to be. And that's a wonderful plot list, uh, plot twist in on itself. Mm-hmm. He sees the advertisement for the joy AI and the advertisement calls him a regular Joe, which if you remember, joy was Joe's, trying to name the name him. The Joe. Joe. Yeah. So it really drove home that, Oh yeah, that's right. She's not the woman who loves me. She's a love Furby essentially right did you just say love furby yeah like she's like a love bombing furby right she like (laughs) learns my behaviors and becomes that thing right (laughs) and it kicks you in the gut right like it like it guts you because you're like oh that's what he has to come to terms with not only am i not the special thing i thought i was but the thing i believed with every fiber of my being that i loved is not Was real. The thing, yeah. That rip. Have you seen the movie adaptation with Nick Cage? Yes. Okay. The reason I bring that up is because at the end, remember when the twin was dying? I barely remember that movie. I was high in that one too. Of course. Um, so right. at the end, when the twin was dying, and um, like, because remember, like the whole thing got crazy with like Chris Cooper and Meryl Streep and everything, and they were like shooting and stuff. And yes. Um, and he was like, what the hell? You know, the, the, his, um, the main character was looking at his brother like, what the fuck? You know, and then he was like, no, that's not how love works. It's not, you know, it's, it doesn't matter if somebody loves you back. It's about what you feel. That kind of, re- it reminded me of that when I saw that scene. I could see that. Yeah. Because I- the love was like, even though she wasn't real, technically he isn't either. But their connection still was real. Uh, well, that's the question you're supposed to ask yourself at the end of the movie, right? Like, what was that love? What was that connection? Well, then we you know can go mean? back to the Matrix. Like, what is real? It's synapses in the brain. And to him, that connection was very real. So to me, I see that's how I see it. I right. see the world through a series of other movies. <laughs> right. I see. I see their world through uh, the the through the prism of every movie that isn't the movie I'm watching. Exactly. 
Right. That is how I frame this film. I see it through adaptation in the matrix. Right. Like what I is see real is something like whatever is real to you is real to you. That is real. Right. And then like adaptation, like even though she technically couldn't love him back because she was just AI, the connection he felt was still very real. But that's also an important scene the in the chronology in the movie because that's the moment um, where he decides where he I think he's already pieced together the final piece of the puzzle, right? So of who the real real person is, right? And yeah. he then has to make the decision after he learns he's not human to do the human thing or what he perceives as the human thing. And well, see, um, I don't see it necessarily as the human thing. I see it as the right thing because the way I looked at him before, he always knew he was a replicant until he started to doubt it, right? But right. as a replicant, he has a directive. He has a, a, a prime directive. He's got a, right. a driving force, right? Well, once he started to believe he was human, he went away from that directive. Okay? Right. Exactly. So now his choice is not necessarily whether or not to be human, but what his directive is. Now, again, going back to Westworld, because I see the world through a bunch of other movies right. and series um, with the host. Um, you've, you've seen two, season two and three, right? Yes. Okay. So remember in season two, when um, they were looking, when Dolores was looking through all the books and Logan, the avatar Logan was explaining to her about how humans, the reason why humans can't live forever, like their consciousness can't be, um, can't survive in a robot body is because humans can't move on past their worst decision. Whereas a host has a choice. And so for me, that was kind of, that was his moment in this movie. It was his like, okay, I've transcended human because even remember evil woman says, brings that up when she kills um, princess bride, because again, my mind is other (laughs) movies. I cannot emphasize this enough. Okay. Right. (laughs) So, um, well, her arc is, yeah. When evil robot woman goes to kill princess bride, she was telling her about how, you know, she brought up, because, you know, she cries and she was like, you know, humans can only go so far. We can go beyond. And so to me, this was his moment of, am I going to go back to what I was designed for? Right. It's back to protocol. Or, or am I going right. to evolve beyond that? So to me, it wasn't yeah. so much human. It was more like the, like the song says, going more, becoming more human. Because right. humans, like she said, can only go so far, but he was able huh. to go beyond that. Right. So exactly. He, he's breaking his protocol. I got to tell you that that was the only scene where not, not only did I, of course I fell in love with the scene because first of all, it's gorgeous, right? Like the visual of that scene is gorgeous. What's going on in his face is amazing. The he's thing an that awesome ir- actor. He deserves yes. an Oscar for that, dude. He really does. He really did. But the, the thing that irked me is they couldn't find a way to communicate what was going through his mind without using flashbacks. That was the only thing that bothered me about that scene. I was like, yeah, I remember this. Yes. I'm retaining this information. I, why, why am I seeing this again? You, you know, know what I mean? why like, I think it's just like in mission impossible. The first one 
when, um, <laughs> like I said, everything is a, a recall of another movie. Um, it's just like, now you see why I do a movie podcast because my uh, life yes, is I do. a series of other films. Yes. Um, <laughs> so in Mission Impossible, at the end when he was figuring it out and he was talking to himself and they had to do that flashback scene, I call that the dummy scene. And the reason why they have to put dummy scenes in movies the dummy is notes. because the average person has a sixth grade intelligence and can't figure this out on their own. I can attest to that So for myself. It, yeah. They didn't need to put it in there as far as like, it, it didn't absolutely didn't need to be in there, but it needed to be in there. Because yeah, too many I know. people would have been like, what? I don't get it. Why is he doing that? That's why they have to, have to include some movies. Just you have to include a dummy scene. An excellent For the example cheap seats. of exactly an excellent yeah. example of a movie that has no dummy scene and it is universally panned because people do not understand what happened in that movie is the Matrix Reloaded. There's no dummy scene to catch people no. up and everybody's like, no. I don't get it. I'm yeah. I'm gonna I'm just gonna tell you one thing about the Matrix Reloaded. That's the second one, right? Yes. Okay. A friend and I have seen the movie. We came out with our idea of what the third one was based on the characters in the second one and ended up writing a better movie than the third one. We Do can you talk know about how this many movies I've done that to? I if, can imagine. If I put out my fan fiction, first of all, back in the 90s, I wrote a way better T3 than we've seen. I like, don't doubt that. I don't doubt 16 year old that. Brain I'm still stuck on you writing fan fiction, better. though. Oh, yeah. Oh, you were 16. All right. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. When I'm like, you weren't writing like slash brain. fiction, were you? You weren't writing like T3 porn or nothing. <laughs> no okay. i was i was i when i was a kid not a kid but like a teenager i was like so in love with movies that when i saw a movie that was really good i immediately thought what would a sequel be like so when i saw t2 i was like okay what would t3 be if there was another one and what i came up with way better than any of the sequels we've gotten um you gotta do an I, episode of just like your 16 year old scripts Oh my gosh, that was hundreds of years ago. Nobody remembers that. But mine would um, mine would all end the same way, right? It'd be like, and then this happened, and then Voltron came out. And like then Voltron would be in like an all of them. Dude, Voltron. Okay, personal story time. When I was a little kid, I really wanted a Voltron because it was like super hot toy. It was, you know, remember the 80s when like yes. there was one toy that would sell out and it was like you can't ever get it. It was very much like Jingle All the Way. We're like, ha ha ha, you wanted that one toy? Well, all the kids have it. Tough shit. And for me, it was Voltron. Well, my parents actually bought me Voltron. But after Christmas, and I got it, and it was like, yes. And then after Christmas, it was recalled. Not all of them, but just oh, some Oh, because the missile? Because of the no, missile in the back? No, because of the paint. It was like lead paint or something. Oh. And But not all of them, only some of them. So it depended on where it was manufactured. Well, mine just so happened to be manufactured in the place with the lead paint. My cousin, who also got a Voltron for Christmas, didn't have the the lead paint so in my can i write can i write jackie fan fiction right now sure go for it okay so then you took your shit voltron to your cousin's house and swapped it out for the good one (laughs) no No. uh my parents just took mine away from me and so i decided that they hated me oh man yeah they took it away and they were like that's definitely true with it because it'll kill you and i was like you hate me that's and the kind like, of shit you need EDMR just to wipe out your brain. <laughs> so yeah, um, <laughs> that fun fun little fact about me. 
as Kay right. has a memory, that's a memory of mine. Who knows if it yeah. was real or implanted? It was real. I look just like my parents. I can't help it. Um, <laughs> Laying the trauma out there. Yeah. You know, the best way to get over it is just to 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 get it out, out. To air it out, right? You know, in um, the context of Voltron. Yes. Anytime somebody brings up Voltron, I think of that. I'm like, goddamn Voltron, man! And it had the it was it felt it pulled apart. So that you could have the individual cats. It was awesome. I'm. Oh, that's right. You had like all the little lions, right? Like so, yeah. like the lions pulled apart. Right, right. Yeah, you had the five lions that pulled apart, and then like but the one black of them one was, was really shit, big. though, right? Because that was the middle one, and it was bigger than all the rest of the lions. Yeah, like, that was right. the, the black one. Was the one that was really big. It was and like then... a square almost. It was all blocky and weird. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I remember that. And then, but then you could like lock all the others up, kind of like Legos, and then put them together. And then it was like, oh, Voltron. And then you were awesome. You were the queen of the universe. Right. Until your parents took it away because it had lead poisoning. And then you. I'm going to call your parents if you bring that up again. Yeah. Uh (laughs) Like, how dare you? I thought it was like a sexist thing because they didn't take away my Barbies. And I was like, you bastards. (laughs) So you thought they were like, oh, she's going to turn out like. You know, like Joe from Facts of Life. <laughs> you like that? You like that evasion I just did, right? <laughs> right. Uh, right. Nice one. Um, That's what they're afraid of. You know they're what? Because they would, well, they actually did when I was a kid. I would be like, I want army toys. And they were like, you know, like little army soldiers, the little green guys. Right. And they, and they were, were like, like, shut up, Blair. They, no, they were like, you're a girl. Here are Barbies. And I was like, okay, yeah. I'm just going to go to my friend Choi's house and play with his. Right. <laughs> so it was like, it didn't really stop anything. And then um, you I'm gonna hate your parents for you, right? You remember like three reelers? I had one, but mine was like powder puff blue and pink, and I hated pink. And it had like frilly shit all over it. You know what's interesting? I don't. I don't let my daughter. I don't let my daughter wear pink. I don't. She's four, right? So uh, like, she had to choose it on her own because it's really difficult to buy um, girls' clothes that are interesting, right? Because you have like, when she was first born, I would go to you know the to get her clothes and stuff and like all the boys clothes were awesome right because they had sharks and adventurous stuff and the girls are like you know daddy's princess and it was just crap exactly. right right exactly. so was, so she wasn't allowed to wear pink until she could choose it for herself yeah so, i actively chose not pink and my parents were like we don't care <laughs> so right. they they bought me that because it was the girl because you know back then it was like here's the boys version here's the girls version you're a girl you get the girls version right so um my friend Troy had a cool Knight Rider one that was all black. And here's another oh. fun fact. My favorite color as a child was black. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I that's would awesome. be like, I would go to his house and be like, mine. <laughs> just take You're like, I'm goth before goth. <laughs> just take his, his uh, three wheeler. And then every now and then he would like get hip to it and like ride off without me. So instead of getting on mine to catch him, I would just run to try to catch him. Right. Wow. Okay, but enough about me. Back to Blade Runner. Because that's what the show's about. <laughs> yes, because that's what the show's about. But I, but I was with you on the whole journey. I was with it. I was, I, yeah. This is what happens when two Gen Xers start talking about shit. Right. Everything goes back to the 80s. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. And our, our hostility for the 90s. I, you know what? I loved the 90s. Really? You did? I did, well, because the I didn't music mind. was awesome. And the movies. I didn't awesome. hate it. I just it sounded funny to say at the moment. Right. Which, uh, wait. Okay. Well, I, that, yeah, that's a totally different conversation. The movies were cool in the 90s. Some of them were. 
Sure, certainly. I mean, that's when Terminator Two came out. That's when the Matrix movie, co- like the Matrix, the rest right, came the out first in the one, but the right. first one came out then. Um, there were a lot of good movies that came out in the nineties. Yeah, there were some good ones. I, you know, what it is I don't know what it, it, it. I don't know. I don't have any explanation for this, but like to me, like the highlight of all cinema, I think, is seventies films. I don't. I don't know if it's because of the some of the foreign directors they borrow off of, or the fact that the endings didn't have to be happy or explained. Like it could just end in the middle of a story, and like you be, and the credits would just pop up out of nowhere, and you'd be like, "Really? That's that's really the end?" Like. <laughs> You know, and it would happen often, like movies like The Conversation or uh, no, a Conversation maybe I've had an ending, but like the Friends of Eddie, I forget the name of it, uh, with Robert Mitchum, uh, Dog Day Afternoon, the way that ends, like it just it's interesting how the the films end, where you're just kind of like, oh, it's not really a conclusion per se. So you know? like, they all like, so they all sort of end like Empire Strikes Back, I guess is my point. <laughs> like, yeah, it's over. What, how's it going to end? Well, maybe we'll tell you. Maybe we won't. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm i not a big fan of the 70s. The 60s or 70s. That's okay. I'm in, that You're probably better off. Just because, to me, it was too, like, I don't know. I don't probably, honestly, too 70s-y? The, the, the real reason is probably because I was born then. Right. And so, the, my first remembrance of movies was 80s and by the time i could actually appreciate cinema it was the 90s right okay so well, that's I, probably I, why 90s we're not like i don't think we're that far apart at all it's not that i i was i wasn't aware of shit in the 70s at all but like i don't just for some reason when i go back to watching those kind of films i think covid was a big thing too because like covid like i went back to watching 70s films like the original taking a pelham one two three you know friends of i don't know why is is it eddie casey i don't remember but robert mitchell's in it it's a great movie you but, know um, what? i remember now why i don't like 60s and 70s because amc and tcm used to do classics right and when you're right? born in the 70s to you classics are like black and white okay so like a classic movie is like you know, I don't know, Bachelor in the Bobby Socks or, or like, um, or like, I don't know, at the, at the latest, like, pillow talk, right? Right. Like you're looking like 30s, 40s, 50s, maybe 60s, like early 60s. Like, when I think classic movies, I want to see, like, Carrie The Gold Grant Rush. Or, <laughs> what? The Gold Rush, like the Chaplin movie, like right? That right. that's a classic movie, right? Yeah. You're like you're you're talking like Chaplin, Pickford, Grant, yeah. something like you're like Fairbanks. not quite colorized. Like Hitchcock would be the end of classic films to me, right? Because after that, like I'm alive, and you can't have classics while I, you can't be making classics while I'm living, right? Right, right. And I see your point. Yeah. TCM was like here's a classic and it was like a Barbara Streisand movie from the seventies. And I'm like, it's like a shitty one. Like where she's boxing. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, just no, no, no. I refuse to believe that a classic movie could be in color. Stop it. (laughs) It's weird. It's funny. Like it, my wife and I were talking about watching cabaret recently because I, it's one of the first movies I ever saw. Right. So I was like on an army base. I think it was in Fort Knox, Kentucky. 
or, or no, I met him in Germany when my brother was born. So was, I probably was like three or four. And my parents took me, my parents were the worst, right? So like they, like, you know, with this regard right there, like they brought us to see Cabaret, right? Mm-hmm. When you are a four or five, maybe even a six-year-old boy at the time, like, and Joel Gray shoves his mug, his makeup covered mug that you don't understand, you know, because you're a male, right? Mm-hmm. In your face and goes like, welcome. Let me tell you something. That scared the shit out of me for so long. I had nightmares about that for years, Jackie, for years. So much so that I guess he appeared on Buffy uh-huh. many, many decades later. And Still he was like, the, oh, when he popped up, I was like, I know who you are, you fucking demon. Like, <laughs> like it was between me and him. Like, that was like, like, if, like that was that's the thing. Like, if you know, if Batman is a product of his trauma, mm-hmm. right? Like, my superhero self would just be like a German mime. You know, this this is a very the, therapeutic episode so far. Yeah, it is. It really is. We're on the couch. <laughs> but yeah, we should yeah. do an episode on like the movies that scare the shit out of us as a kid. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm there. <laughs> um, I, you know, there are really only two for me, and one of them you would never guess. One of them, everybody would probably be like, "That that scared you?" Like, oh yeah, no, no, I, did, I have a few of those too, but I'm going to take a guess. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. No. Okay. No, that didn't a, scare me at all. It's a movie. Like uh, my parents were very, very strict. I was not allowed to watch things that weren't for kids. I had to like I was being rebellious and I had to sneak to watch Terminator 2 because four I kids, was four like, kids movies yeah. uh Goonies It didn't scare me. I didn't like okay. it, but it didn't scare me. Huh. Uh yeah. You're just uh, going to keep guessing, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, cuz I'm trying to get like the, the the decade. I'm like what could be a knock? Well, you're you're in the right decade. Scary. Right. But still. It's like, what could, right. Let's but it's see. still like, because remember, that was back in the 80s when there was such a thing as these are movies for kids, these are movies for adults, and there the twain shall meet. The Last Dragon. <laughs> no. That's. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to keep randomly saying kids. Yes. The dialogue scared me in that one. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll put it to you this way. This one was more of a, let's say, a family friendly movie, <clears throat> but it, it's particularly like it's a kid home alone that was in the 90s dude oh right okay. um let's, let's see uh let's see never ending story that's one of them yes go meet labyrinth no but labyrinth huh. is what my i have a friend for whom that was like one of her favorite movies and the same I here out, i was like don't you dare say a bad word about it every frame of it is perfect like, how much therapy do you need that movie's amazing. That Labyrinth is your favorite movie. Like, it's just... It, is it my favorite movie? Yeah, it's one of them. And I understand. Like, it's weird because, like, like I understand it's, like, maybe from a technical or critical point of view. Yeah, it's... Oh, it's flawed. Like, but thinking Rumblefish is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. That's a piece of shit. Just, it's getting weirder. It's getting yeah. weirder. Yep. <laughs> yep. Anyway, okay, so back to themes of Blade Runner. Right, theme of Blade Runner. Yes. Now that we've um, walked it around the block. I mentioned the corporation being evil and taking Terrell. over. Oh, Wallace. Right, Wallace yes. in this film. Right. Yes. He is somehow more evil than Tyrell. 
because I think Tyrell was he was a megalomaniac, but he just wanted he was like a crazy inventor type. He just wanted he, to yeah to cross the line of like he wanted he wanted he had godlike expectations and like he wanted to create life. That's what I think with Tyrell. Yeah. But with this guy, creating life is not enough. That was the first step. Well, he's got to Right. I was going to ask, like, do you think he's evil or obsessed? Right. Because he's obsessed with something, you know, with the, with what uh, Terrell was able to accomplish with Rachel and Deckard, which we, I guess we have to get into Harrison as well. But like the, but like, I guess that leads him down because there's one, yeah, the one brutal scene where he's absolutely evil, but it's so a matter of fact evil, which is probably the worst kind of evil, right? Like just where you're just kind of like, well, of course I'm going to do this. You're no good. You're defective. I don't think matter of fact evil is the worst evil. I think covert evil is the worst evil because Hmm. matter of fact is overt and you can see it coming. Covert is the worst. Because you first have to identify it as evil before you can deal with it. Whereas, right. oh, you're you saying like, generally, yeah, just in general, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, sure. But yeah, I just think like that scene where he, you know, where he looks at the defective thing, sort of is nurturing toward it for a moment and then kills it. And that's pretty brutal. And then, which leaves us to the see, I, I didn't see him as being nurturing in that moment. Oh, when, when he, he was, was like monologuing when he was, which he yeah. was born when the replicate was born. Yeah, I didn't see him as being nurturing because remember he's blind, and before she had plugged in that thing to give him like augmented sight, I saw him as just seeing her because he's, he's blind. When he was feeling her face, he was yes. just checking. He was checking her out in the way oh, that like a blind person reads Braille. So I yeah, didn't that's see him as being nurturing. It was his way of being able to see. Oh, her. yeah. I guess when I see it for the two hundredth time. <laughs> I'm going to look for that. Remember, yeah, that's interesting. After that, he has her plug in the thing, which augments his sight. Right. So he doesn't need no, it. No, you're right. You're right. I got I got to take a look at it again. That's interesting. But so, yeah, yeah but I, to me, like, did he, did, is the defective thing about her, was it just the fact that she couldn't give birth? Yes. In his mind, that was the defective thing, because that was the thing he was trying to perfect. Yeah. Which led him to Slicing her down. in the womb, which is not cool. Right. So then he some you know, then he obtained Rachel's remains to make another Rachel, which was a I'm not gonna lie, I got like teary when I saw Rachel. And I know it wasn't the best effect in the world, but I, I gotta tell you, like that first movie is like ingrained in me so much that like when she comes out and she's exactly Sean Young from nineteen eighty two or eighty three, whenever I think it's eighty two, when she does the little and she does the walk, I was like, Oh my god. And I just started like, wow, I'm I'm here again. So that was, you know, and it wasn't. And there's a couple angles where that effect isn't fantastic, but it was pretty damn great. Yeah. But also to Harrison Ford now, who, yes. if you think it took us this long to bring up Harrison Ford, it took him that long to be in the movie. <laughs> it really did. How's that for a segue? <laughs> Also, was he acting? Because he's just kind of a cranky old curmudgeon at this point. So right, this was is he him. really acting, or is this just him? Did he just Wait, was he acting, or was it before ten a.m.? Right, <laughs> right. So, because like I've seen him in interviews for this, and I'm like, oh my god, that's just him. Right, 
<laughs> yeah, you're. I no, you're absolutely right. I th- but the the one really great line. Okay, so we have to address this. Um, the the again because of the director's cut and um, and the theatrical release versus the sequel. The debate in the original movie is whether or not Deckard was a replicant. And right. in this movie, they just duck that shit altogether. They're saying it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he is or he's not. And he does it through talking about the dog, where he's like, "Is that right. animal, you know? Is that real?" And he goes, "I don't know. Ask, I don't know, him. ask him." Yeah, right. <laughs> and that just ducks the entire thing. Where he just where Denny Villeneuve is just like, "I don't want to be in. I don't want to be in this shit." But see, I think that at, at first I felt like they just straight answered the question. Yes, he's real because that's how he had a baby. But then. That's when he's talking to evil Jared Leto and Jared Leto is asking him, like, did it occur to you that this was your purpose? Then I was like, okay, are they trying to just bring it back? Like, I feel like they're just shoehorning that. Is he a replicant? No, I did Tyrell create replicants that could that could both create life. I think that was well, I think that that was Denny Villeneuve's way of, I guess, flirting with the debate. And, you know, and because it's aloof, right? Like that could mean a hundred different things, you know? So it's like not necessarily your purpose because you're not human. It could be like, that was your purpose because we had to take this machine for a test drive. Yeah. And see, so when I, with your wiener, the very (laughs) first, the very first time I saw the movie, 2049, I assumed Cause like, I'm just going to tell you straight out. I thought Deckard was real the whole time in Blade Runner and in right. 2049. Yes. And um, when I first saw the movie and he said that I assumed he was discussing his meeting with, um, with Rachel, like you were, you like they designed like, cause you know, him being a cop, the police have files on you. They know everything about you. Right. So they would, um, I'm going to do this again. Don't even laugh. Ex Machina. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's just like what he did. I feel like what he, what Jared Leto was saying was like, we pulled an Ex Machina on you. Of course you would fall in love with her. That was the point. We needed to see if she could actually have, have, you know, give birth. Right. And I feel like that's what he was saying the first time I saw it. And the second time I saw it, I was like, Wait a minute. Well, is I that feel like what the, meant, those ambiguous lines, I mean, those saying, ambiguous lines are like a. Yeah. Or Rorschach test, aren't they? Yeah. The second time I saw it the other way of like, oh, he's trying to add to the you're a replicant thing. And I, but it didn't, it didn't really sell. Right. I didn't buy Seconds it. Seconds from going. And that reminded me of the movie Stop or My Mom will Shoot. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like you're, it's, it's going to happen. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> really won't. <laughs> It's it's gonna be some random ass shit like and that. I'm going to, but it's not. So far, everything has it all plays in. It's not random. And that reminds me of <laughs> Mega Force. <laughs> if I were ever going to bring up Estelle Getty, it would be as Golden Girls. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Well done. <laughs> Anywho, but like, but that's what it. That's how I interpreted it the first time. But then the second time, I was like, oh, maybe he's trying to play into the whole. Is he real? The first time, like that is oh, they certainly yeah, he certainly is land with me. It didn't land at all. I was just like, I immediately saw it as an ex mach. Like he was telling him, like you, this was ex machina. You were a tool by Tyrell to make sure that this could happen, and it it succeeded. 
Like he knew right. you would be attracted to her. He created her specifically for you to be attracted to, and you fell for it. And um, exactly right. But the second time, I was like, oh, maybe he's saying that you know Tyrell created you too. But it didn't. That just it didn't land with me. Like that notion of him being a replicant. I don't know. Maybe it's because I was so adamant from the first one that he's not a replicant. Yeah, that's uh, by the way, that's where I stand. I don't know if I expressed that before. That's where I I fall on it. I don't care what the hell. I don't care about really what really Scott says about anything. I think he's a glorified cinematographer. And I don't think he's a great director. Um I'm <laughs> just saying really things. Feel, yeah, I'm just saying things so you'll get tweeted at. Yeah, I don't think he's a good <laughs> okay, director. A I don't think that uh Gladiator was a great movie. Um The cinematography think, in Gladiator was excellent though. Exactly. Which well, thank you for underlining my point and shit, putting it I in did bold. I kind of agree with you. you Damn did. it. Aggressively. Well done. Oh, dare I. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't think he's a great director. I think he's a good cinematographer. But yeah, I, I think playing with Denny Villeneuve playing with that ambiguity of whether or not he's a replicant is wonderful. By the way, if I, if I am uh, really attached to this material, I want you to know I'm, I was just as emotional about Mary Poppins Returns. So if I sound like I'm being high and mighty when I make fun of your reference, no, seriously. Wow. Yeah, when she said, My, when she said, Michael, don't, you know, don't hang your mouth open like a codfish or whatever. Like, seriously, I like, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I got emotional. This is all very Yeah, I'm just telling you, just so you don't, you know, so you don't think of being all like, yeah, I know, Blade Runner, nerd, 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 nerd. <laughs> yeah. I had the same emotion. Well, not the same, but I did, you know, okay, an emotional see, this response. This is what happens. To- when I listen to you guys on your podcast and I listen to the end is nigh show, I listen for a while and I'm like, okay, you guys are funny. And then like, you will say something that I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then Rob will kind of like bring it back around to reality. And then I'll be like, okay, we're good. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's interesting. And that moment just happened right now. Like playing yeah. this back, I'm going to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> be like, all right, we're good. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Ro- yeah. It's weird. Cause like that, that you're right. That does happen. Like I just like, I'll say what I'm really, really thinking in that moment. And Rob would be like, yeah. Meanwhile on earth, <laughs> you know, that's essentially his role in my life. So it's true. That's really the story of our friendship. It's good to have I'm friends. The, I'm like a balloon that someone let go, and he's just like, yeah, dude, get down here. <laughs> oh, fun times. Yes. But <laughs> yeah, right. we got yeah, we, we got to have you on the show. That'd be really fun. So to me, you're going to laugh at this. I okay. see the Blade Runner franchise as a beautiful Pinocchio story. Especially 2049 in particular, because okay. it's like he I'm not. I swear to God, I'm not boy. saying this. I'm not saying this to make a joke about how you operate. But that reminds me of a movie I hate. The analogy that Which was is- it the, the fucking hell what was it the AI? Is that what it was called? Uh, the Steven Spielberg one. Yeah, where he's the, under the ground, he's looking at the Pinocchio, and I'm like, oh man, could he punch me in the face that metaphor any harder? <laughs> Like okay, that, but that was a piece of shit. That was a shitty version of Pinocchio. Right, but I'm like just saying that's what crossed my mind. Better, so. 
a much yes, better. This like, is if be- you were to take an adult, you were to take a child's fairy tale and make it an adult into like an adult themed film, it would be Blade Runner. Blade Runner 2049 specifically. Because the whole point of this is Kay, like she even says, um, Joy says, you could be a real boy. Right. So I feel like that's it. And Geppetto isn't really the good guy. Geppetto in this scenario would be Robin Wright? Geppetto? Yeah. No. Geppetto in this scenario, well, because Geppetto was the maker, right? He he created Pinocchio. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I see what you're saying. So that okay. would be Jared I'll go Leto. with that. Oh, that's another really quick scene we got to talk about because, wow, we're, we've been on for a while. Um, the scene where Robin Wright tries to fuck Kay. Yes. And he's like, shouldn't I get back to work? Right. <laughs> he has no interest. Whatsoever. She's like three drinks in and ready to bang the toaster. <laughs> you just, like, what? You just reduced this whole movie. You called him a toaster. Right. Essentially, that's what he is, right? Like to her, anyway. Like she's like three drinks in. She's like, holy shit, that Quizenard is fucking hot. Oh my gosh. Okay, but he has human anatomy. And you know, that's the real question to me. Why did they make them so human-like? It's just like when everybody hears, you know, when you watch Star Wars and you hear machines being tortured, everybody's like, why did you give them emotions? Like, why did you let them make it so they could feel? That's a good question for all of this. Why are replicants this human? Okay, I just get, I need a minute to push the Return of the Jedi scene out of my head. <laughs> Where they're flipping the power droid and he's kicking his feet. And he's, he's kicking going, the no, little no, thing. No, and he's no, like, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was the scene. That's the one that I was thinking of when I said that. Right. Welcome to my mind. <laughs> Good luck getting out. Right. So the, yeah, no, you're right. I like, why would you give them, what was their purpose if it wasn't, if it's not just to be, well, I guess that's why they keep taking the baseline test, right? Is because they're, they are learning creatures. Yes. And they need to continue to be learning creatures so they don't I think they explained that a little bit in the first one where like they have to be learning creatures because if they're not they will snap. You know what I'm saying? So it's like I forgot the exact way and it's also I'm getting exhausted. It's been a long day. But like the I think they sort of explain that whether it's in the sequel the first one I'm not sure but it's like they they definitely they need to be constantly learning. Learning is one thing, but why feeling? Why do they have to have human-like emotions? That's a good question. I think they explained that in the first one. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to just venture to guess. But yeah, if if they do explain it, it's left my memory. Because it brings me back to like Westworld, where the reason why Arnold gave them feeling was because he wanted them to transcend he wanted them to become sentient, which they eventually do. But he did that. It was a design. It was a purpose. Right. Um, but I would, I would guys, argue that I would argue that that's, they imply that with Terrell. I, I definitely think they definitely do that. They imply that with Terrell that like he, he does adore his creations. And I think Rachel is a great example of that. Well, yes. Okay. But that works for the first ones. Remember in Blade Runner 2049, these are not the oh, same right. ones because right. yeah. um, evil Jared Leto has said, I took his designs and perfected it. And that's why they get to live longer. So he did. Oh, cause do, they're more compliant. Yeah. This, I have a question. This is important. Um, did you, there were three shorts on the Blu-ray 
of 2049. Did you watch them? No, I watched the movie in theaters. I watched it twice in theaters and then once I uh, rented it. Like There video. are, yeah, there are three shorts. One of them is animated and it's incredible. And it's, it's like, it gives you the backstory of the blackout, which is referenced in the movie. And in, right. uh, yeah, no, they're all three really great. I couldn't write, yeah, they're really good. I'd watch them again. Um, so I guess that's important to your, to your question because there's a scene, you know, in one of the shorts where Terrell brings the new replicant in front of the board because they were illegal. And he was like, they're completely compliant. And he makes one commit suicide in front of the board on his word. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's an interesting question. I'm not, I feel like it was addressed and it's just leaving my memory right now. Okay. Yeah. If it was addressed, I feel like it was addressed in one of those shorts and not in the film. Because I'm pretty good like, at paying attention to details. Yeah. Yeah, okay, maybe it wasn't. Yeah, I don't know. Because oh. like, cause I no, remember why, yeah, them saying, why, like, you know, the blackout, they lost files, but then what they were able to get, he bought from, you know, he he started out as, like, with food stuff, like creating synthetic food. And um, that's how he got his basic. Oh, Wallace, he's, you're talking about specifically. Yeah. Right, the villain. Yeah. Um, because these replicants aren't the same as the replicants from twenty from the original Blade Runner, right? Um, and he makes a big deal about how these are his replicants, but the one thing he couldn't get from Tyrell's design was the re- was reproduction, right? Um, but the question is, how did he know that he was able to reproduce? Because Deckard and everybody went through and scrubbed the records, so how did he figure it out? He knew long before Kay was even looking for it. Because remember, like when he was question. looking at the first, re- when he was looking at the, the newborn replicant and he was talking, he was, you know, giving his exposition dump to the girl. He, that was before Kay had come in, like he had started the investigation, but Kay hadn't admitted that there was a baby. Right. No, it's an excellent so question. How did he how know? Did he that? know? Yeah, how did he know there was a child? Because remember, yeah. Deckard and everybody else that did when they give their exposition dump, they were like, "Yeah, we used the blackout to hide information, and we just dumped it from the servers." So there should be no record. That's why they haven't been able to find her. So how did he know she existed? Maybe that I'm just spitballing here, but maybe that is one of the records that he got from the Terrell Corporation, and that he's aware that it's happened or that it was in the process of happening. The only thing I can think of is because I don't think he knew that it did work, but I think he got the records um, from Rachel and maybe in the records of Rachel, it showed what, what Rachel that a womb was, was built. To do. Right. Right. Okay. He gave her the ability to have children. I'll and go so with he that. He was trying to recreate that, but couldn't quite get it right. I'll go with that. But still, though, he still acted as if he knew that there was a child, that she was successful. Well, maybe he just does that in life. He just acts like he knows shit he don't. You know what? He is like a trillionaire, so I would grant it. Right. Because like he, like he's kind of like Elon Musk. You know what? That's the real – I'm going to get super lefty right now. They're the real people who have no souls. There you go. I'll take a replicant over a billionaire any day. Any day. And Especially he, with that weird ass, like, what's wrong with his face, dude? Jared Leto or Elon Musk or any of them? Elon Musk, like, is that oh. that's plastic surgery, right? Like, that's what the hell? Um, I think it's the Darth Vader effect. Like, the longer you're evil, it starts to show. Mm. 
And he's dating Grimes, right? I don't know. The singer? Yeah. I don't know. He you used know. to date Amber Heard. That's the only thing I know about. That, that That's just all starting to make sense. <laughs> right. No, that's right. Because Amber Heard, yeah, he gave her the bruises and pretended yep. that. This is according to my mother. I don't know. That, like, he gave her bruises and that was and supposed to be giant. To We're going down. Now, this is, let's not go down this rabbit hole. Yeah, that's a whole. Right. That's a whole thing. It ends road. with shitting in beds and stuff. And James Franco. Yo, the story's got everything. Old. Yeah. You know, I used to love James Franco, and then you find out about like the weird shit he does in his personal life, and it's like, okay, never mind. I mean, I still love him as an actor, but like, I don't need to deal with him as a person. <laughs> right. Like Woody Allen. Right? It's like, let's just divorce your art from you. It was it. The worst part about it is, is like you know, like especially after hearing like, uh, what's his name, Rowan Farrow's podcast and things like that. I definitely believe the daughter. Part of me is really even angry about it because was it Blue Jade? Is the name? Is, it, is that the name of the movie? The one with the, you know, Andrew Dice Clay was in a second of it or in a couple minutes of it. That that movie was like the best thing he had done in decades. And I remember seeing that in the theater, then hearing about the daughter and just being like, ah, oh, dude, fuck. What daughter? Whose daughter? Uh, Woody Allen's daughter. Oh, Woody Allen. Okay. Right. For a second, I thought you were talking about James Franco still. And I'm like, I don't. Oh, no. Like, no, we're going down. We're skipping okay. down word association lane again. Gotcha. Right. But yeah, I think we wrapped up Blade Runner pretty in a all over the place package that I enjoyed very much. Yes. Um, the one last thing that I will say about it is I like how it's got the like not Western style of handling nudity where it's there, but it's not exploited. It's not like cheeky porn, weird shit, but at the same time, like they don't shy away from it. Like people are naked in the move. They technically they're not people, they're replicants, but still, and it's like, whatever. Yeah. Uh- I only, I'm trying to remember. I'm, yeah, I guess, okay, I guess in the casings you're talking about, right? So when he's like walking through the casings, you see some. Yeah, there are actually several scenes where there are naked people present in the, like in the background. But again, they don't make a big deal out of it. Yeah, it's, it's, it just serves the story. It's not like, yeah. Cause like they're, um, when they were, when they were first got the bones, there were a couple of naked slabs in the back. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And that's what I mean. Like, they're just, they're in the story, but it's not, they're just, it's part of the story. And I feel like that has, like, that to me is part of the whole theme of humanity because we're still very puritanical, you know, in the Western culture where if you have your clothes off, like, it's immediately sexual as opposed to just like, that's the human form, you know? I yeah I agree because again like you uh, we're bringing up Westworld it's very much like that in Westworld as well but there's also, exactly yes right um, and, and um, the same and in, in the same context as well because they're like robots and yeah there are rooms of them and it's just like a, a festival of pubic hair <laughs> you know yes so, so. but yeah like I mean the Game it, of it, Thrones it, it is guys being in one of the rooms what's up. Did you like the Game of Thrones guys being in one of the rooms? Being in, in season what? three. Oh right, yes, yes. 
I did like that. The, the, the dragon, you mean? They were the dragon. Yeah, but if you, if in the same room as the dragon, there were two guys walking around. That was Benioff and Weiss. Oh, wow. Huh. If you actually looked at like who they were, it was those two guys. It was the creators of Game of Thrones. Or the, <laughs> the most the hated people on the <laughs> planet for an entire summer. Yes. Got an Easter that that episode came out before right okay yeah oh okay yeah i didn't know i i only just caught up with season three and i regret doing it like i don't i that's a whole other conversation but i did not like season three of westworld okay so it sounds like that's gonna have to be our next episode okay is westworld through the seasons oh okay yeah i mean i'm just gonna be it's just gonna be me bitching that's fine be like, Meh. yeah, but, but like a little more gusto than that. <laughs> so, um, less ram or get off my lawn, okay, right? Got it. All right, so where can people find you? Oh, um, our show is the end is nigh, the end is nigh show.com or the end is nigh show, and on any, I guess, any of the places you get your podcast, right? So, like Google. Spotify, um, uh, where else do people get? To? Oh, Stitcher. Um, yeah, all, anywhere you get your podcast, you just go to the End is Nice show, or just if you have all those talking devices, say like play the End is Nice show and it'll come on. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, awesome. All right, I, thank you, Doug. Thank you. I had a great time. Thank you for having me. Me too. If you like this episode, Do us a favor. If you're listening through Apple, give us a five-star rating or any other app. Drop us a like. And don't forget to subscribe so that you can hear new episodes when they come out. Thanks. In case I don't see you. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. (laughs) Yeah.